Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today's American Passage is from Willa Cather's 1913 novel, O Pioneers. O Pioneers tells the story of Alexandra Bergson, the daughter and eldest child of John Bergson, an immigrant Nebraska homesteader from Sweden. On his deathbed, Alexandra's father bequeaths the running of the farm to her rather than to either of her two only slightly younger brothers. Alexandra succeeds in making the farm prosper while other homesteads fail, and Old Pioneers is in part the story of how she succeeds. Old Pioneers thus can serve as a model to young people today as they prepare for success in life. Alexandra's native disposition is important. She is prudent, a word hardly heard in America today, diligent, intelligent. She is also willing to take risks and to try new things. These latter characteristics by themselves would hardly lead to success without prudence, of course. Without prudence, you might put all your savings in Bitcoin, for instance. But Alexandra is prudent, so that when she mortgages the farm to buy the land her neighbors are abandoning, she has done her homework and thought through the risks and rewards. She is the first on the divide to have a silo, though her brothers are against it. If Lou and Oscar are going to have something newfangled, it will be a bathtub to replace the basins that everyone uses on the divide for washing up. There's no risk in that, and they will be the envy of their neighbors who can't afford bathtubs. Alexandra puts in a newly developed hay with a better yield. Like the silo, this new hay was developed at the State College in Lincoln, the University of Nebraska, and also important to Alexandra's success, in addition to her own qualities, is a society that has such public colleges and universities. Like many of America's great state universities, the University of Nebraska is a land-grant college, established following the passing of the Federal Moral Land-Grant College Act of 1862, named for Justin Morrill representative from Vermont. The act granted federal land to each state of the Union for the establishment of an agricultural and mechanical college. In today's passage, Alexandra, on an errand from her farm to Lincoln, makes a side trip to the University of Nebraska campus, as it was in 1903. Alexandra's success allowed her to put her youngest brother, Emil, through school, and he had graduated two years ago before suffering the mishap that is the central tragedy of old pioneers. Alexandra had been fond of Emil and had paid for his education against the wishes of the two older brothers, who distrusted schools and now felt vindicated by Emil's death. We'll join old pioneers at Alexandra's arrival in Lincoln. From O Pioneers by Willa Cather.
Late in the afternoon of a brilliant October day, Alexandra Bergson, dressed in a black suit and traveling hat, alighted at the Burlington Depot in Lincoln. She drove to the Lindell Hotel, where she had stayed two years ago when she came up for a meal's commencement. In spite of her usual air of sureness and self-possession, Alexandra felt ill at ease in hotels, and she was glad when she went to the clerk's desk to register that there were not many people in the lobby. She had her supper early, wearing her hat and black jacket down to the dining room and carrying her handbag. After supper, she went out for a walk. It was growing dark when she reached the university campus. She did not go into the grounds, but walked slowly up and down the stone walk outside the long iron fence, looking through at the young men who were running from one building to another, at the lights shining from the armory and the library. A squad of cadets were going through their drill behind the armory, and the commands of their young officer rang out at regular intervals, so sharp and quick that Alexandra could not understand them. Two stalwart girls came down the library steps and out through one of the iron gates. As they passed her, Alexandra was pleased to hear them speaking Bohemian to each other. Every few moments a boy would come running down the flagged walk and dash out into the street as if he were rushing to announce some wonder to the world. Alexandra felt a great tenderness for them all. She wished one of them would stop and speak to her. She wished she could ask them whether they had known Emil. As she lingered by the south gate, she actually did encounter one of the boys. He had on his drill cap and was swinging his books at the end of a long strap. It was dark by this time. He did not see her and ran against her. He snatched off his cap and stood bareheaded and panting. I'm awfully sorry, he said in a bright, clear voice with a rising inflection, as if he expected her to say something. Oh, it was my fault, said Alexandra eagerly. Are you an old student here, may I ask? No, ma'am, I'm a freshie just off the farm, Cherry County. Were you hunting somebody? No, thank you. That is, Alexandra wanted to detain him. That is, I would like to find some of my brother's friends. He graduated two years ago. Then you'll have to try the seniors, wouldn't you? Let's see. I don't know any of them yet, but there'll be sure to be some of them around the library. That red building right there, he pointed. Thank you. I'll try there, said Alexandra lingeringly. Oh, that's all right. Good night. The lad clapped his cap on his head and ran straight down 11th Street. Alexandra looked after him wistfully. She walked back to her hotel unreasonably comforted. What a nice voice that boy had, and how polite he was. I know Emil was always like that to women. And again, after she had undressed and was standing in her nightgown, brushing her long, heavy hair by the electric light, she remembered him and said to herself, I don't think I ever heard a nicer voice than that boy had. 
I hope he will get on well here. Cherry County, that's where the hay is so fine, and the coyotes can scratch down to water. This passage presents a quite positive picture of college life, even 120 years ago. But a true picture, I think, just as I think all great literature is true, though no single work is the whole truth, of course. That's why we keep writing books. The first thing Cather notes is the military training that the Morrill Act required of all male students at land-grant colleges. The drill unit is the Pershing Rifles, an honor unit founded at the University of Nebraska in 1894 under the leadership of John J. Pershing, who later served as the commander of the American Expeditionary Forces in World War I. The students she encounters are bright and eager, as well as polite and well-mannered. We might say that college students today are nothing like those Cather pictures, but I think we'd be wrong. It's true, sadly, that students today are less likely to be buzzing around the library or buzzing around at all unless they're on skateboards, but while they are somewhat slack among themselves, they are refreshingly polite to oldsters like Alexandra that they happen to run into. Rather than, oh, that's all right, they are likely to reply to thank you with a cheerful no problem, though it drives oldsters, at least this oldster, crazy. And there are young women as well as young men in Cather's picture. The land-grant colleges were far ahead of the private colleges of the East in that regard. An important detail in this passage is that the two stalwart, here stalwart means strong and stoutly built, as Alexandra is and Cather herself was, the two stalwart girls coming out of the library speak to each other in Bohemian, the language of their immigrant parents, rather than in English. Alexandra, like Willa Cather, treasures both the progressive and the traditional. Walking across my own campus today, I sometimes overhear students speaking a foreign language to each other. Not the Spanish you might expect, as college-attending daughters and sons of Spanish speakers in America are eager to become as American as possible, but rather one of the Asian languages, spoken by foreign students who have come to America to take advantage of a higher education system without equal in the world, some of whom will return to their home countries, bringing Western ideas with them, and some of whom will stay to enrich America with their talent and work ethic. That America has its enviable higher education system is something to treasure. It is also something of a paradox, as one strong element of America's democratic heritage is a strong anti-intellectualism, which stems from a distrust of ruling elites. We see this in the two brothers closer to Alexandra in age, Lou and Oscar. As Cather tells us, quote, Lou and Oscar had shown their disapproval of Emil ever since he went away to school. The only thing that would have satisfied them would have been his failure at the university. As it was, 
They resented every change in his speech, in his dress, in his point of view, though of the latter they had to conjecture, for Emile avoided talking to them about any but family matters. All his interests they treated as affectations, end quote. It's bad enough to come home with new ideas about hay and silos, which Emile did, but Emile also studied history and philosophy and music. He came to think different things than those who'd spent their entire lives on the divide. He became a non-believer, even a free thinker. Historically, there was resistance to the university in Nebraska. For one thing, it would be a secular institution, unlike the private universities of the East, which were religiously based. And what of the immoral conduct of the students? In 1909, four years before the publishing of Old Pioneers, the trustees considered moving the campus out of the city, partly to give easier access to the agricultural fields of the ag program, but also to move the students away from the downtown bars, which they tended to overrun on Friday and Saturday nights. And, after all, what did Nebraska farm boys and farm girls need history and philosophy and music for anyway? These things would not fit them for the practical world, but only give them ideas, ideas that might harm both them and society not to mention giving them airs of superiority. The football teams that the land-grant universities quickly developed did much to win the popular acceptance of the individual institutions, as did the ROTC programs and the pathway to the middle class the universities provided, particularly after the Second World War and the GI Bill. But everything in America goes in cycles. Again, today we find a great deal of not unjustified resentment toward those who press their progressive ideas with an air of superiority. The removal of ROTC from college campuses in the 1960s in response to protests over the Vietnam War has harmed both the military and the liberal arts and a movement toward its reestablishment would serve both the military and the liberal arts well, as well as American society as a whole. But at the same time, we must defend the liberal arts with all its unruly books, and with all its impracticalities and all its dangerous ideas. I just read an article this morning about the likelihood that those being born now in the developed world will live to a hundred or more. Twenty years of education, forty years of work, and then a few years of retirement is no longer going to work for those whose retirement will last another forty years. New ways of being in the world will need to emerge, and we need to start laying the foundations now. Those foundations won't come from watching college football on Saturday afternoons. They will come from the research and the courses at our public liberal arts colleges and universities. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.